And uh, I found out first service, uh, you know, I thought, I don't know if you remember me saying, I thought Jack did such a good job his first time uh, leading our junior high students. They only lost one student. And, one student. and I found out first service he lost two. But you found them. I mean, they're, they're found. Good. Good job, Jack. Yeah. All right. Uh, Marcia back there told me that my forehead's a little shiny, so I was thinking, you know, looking at Jack, I think I'm going to start my hair like his, change that, you know, that style. That was cool, wasn't it? Kind of a, what do they call those comb-overs? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Hey, thanks for your prayer. Those of you who prayed for myself and Beck, Back in our time in Minneapolis, um, some of you may not know, but uh, this last week, my, my um, sister's uh, uh, oldest daughter, my niece, uh, died. And uh, Tammy was very close to me. She was more like a younger sister than a niece because we were so close in age. We actually played together as kids. And um, in fact, the joke is it wasn't until I met uh, Becky and brought her to our family events that I stopped being seated with the kids. Um, and I was 20 at the time, so 21. But anyway, um, but Tammy and I are very close, have been forever. And, um, and the added thing with it is that uh, Tammy's a lawyer in Minneapolis, and because our son went to Minnesota Law School in, in Minneapolis, he and Tammy connected. and. Um, as Greg put it to me, he said, you know, Tammy was like a, a younger sister to you. She was like an older sister to me. And they were actually really almost like best friends, very close. And uh, so I was dealing with my own grief, but I was also really feeling Greg's grief. And uh, so it was a tough week emotionally. We were able to have, and that's why I went last weekend. I was gone. Able to have Friday and uh, Saturday and Sunday with Tammy. And she died Monday on July 4th. So I'm really grateful for that. And then the memorial service was on Friday, and the family asked if I would speak and speak for them. And so I, I did that. And that, that was um, uh, something I wanted to do well. And so there was, appreciate those of you who prayed for me even with that. And because of Tammy's um, position in the law firm and um, that she managed it. She knew a lot of people in the city and uh, was very respected. So the place was packed with people and it was a great opportunity to share Christ and the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Um, with, uh, so I know God, God used that. And um, so I'm thankful for that, thankful for your prayer. And I'm thankful for Tim Wiebe preaching last Sunday. I mean, Jeff and Brad were in California and... Um, in fact, I so funny, I completely spaced off, and here's up here praying for Brad the Sunday before, and I actually called Brad, because I knew Jeff was out there, but I forgot Brad was out there. I said, Brad, could you preach for me? He said, well, I would, but I'm in California. Oh, yeah. And that's right, I prayed for you. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So anyway, I'm really thankful for Tim stepping in. Called him. I mean, he was on vacation. And when I called him Thursday evening, so I'm really, or texted him, actually. Nice to text, you know. Brad, you're preaching. No, but, but anyway, 
uh, thankful for that. And I almost had to have, uh, or Tim, you're preaching. I almost had to have Tim preach again today. Because, you know, you're gone for a week and we have a fairly uh, recent new chair in our, in our bedroom uh, at a position that you could run into. And so I, four in the morning, you know, it was still dark. I got up and went back, you know, I was going back to bed and I ran right into it with this big toe. So, I mean, it's hurting. So I almost had to call Tim again this morning. You know, you know I, I thought it would be good as we, as we began today looking at, at Ephesians to see how artistically savvy uh, all of us are here this morning. You know, the, the, the title of this series is Masterpiece, and that's the thing I'm wanting to drive home for all of us, just this whole thing that you and I are God's masterpiece. So I thought it would be good to see how, you know, how many masterpieces we know. So I've got a few, and I'll see if you know the title of the, of the, of the painting and, and even the artist, okay? That's, so first service, they got some of these, so pressure's on, all right? Here's first one. Starry Night, good. Who did it? Van Gogh, very good. How about this next one? Yeah, but sorry, say it, it was done by who, first of all? Michelangelo in the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, right? Anybody know the title? The Creation of Adam. Did somebody say that? All right, wow. <laughs> okay, now this one will be hard. This will be hard. Mona Lisa, who did it? Leonardo da Vinci. How about this one? It's a husband of Mona Lisa. No, it isn't. Uh, it's Picasso's self-portrait. Okay. How about this one? I'll give you a clue, okay? Here's a clue. Uh, it's of Rob and one of our worship teams. That's a clue. Three musicians. All right. Anybody know who, would, who, who do you think would have done something like that? Picasso. Very good. Man. Okay, very on a different, very different style, this next one. Famous, famous masterpiece. It's a Rembrandt. Whoa, Brian. Wow. What's the name of it? Anybody know? Christ in the storm. Okay. How about this next one? Come on. It's so obvious, right? Woman pouring water. No. Milkmaid. Did somebody say that? Okay. Nobody said it. Uh, done by Yo- Johannes Vermeer. Okay. How about this next one? Here's the clue. The guy who did this, the artist who did this, began as a graffiti writer in New York City. Did you know that? Yeah. Huh? Have the same you have the same birthday? Wow, are you an artist too? And Yeah. yeah. Okay. What's the name of it? In Switzerland, you saw it? Really? Wow. 
Man, that's cool. It's one for living in Europe, right? It's called Boxer. I mean, okay? And the name of the guy who did it, who I believe is French, uh, his name is, let's see if I, Jean-Michael Basquiat. Now I'm going to tell you a little inside thing here. Whenever I'm, I'm going to do a, say something in a sermon, I don't know how to pronounce it because I know there's a certain few people who ridicule me if I say it the wrong way. What I do is I, I have, and one of them's back in the tech booth, and, and what, what, I, what I do is I have Lorinda, my administrative assistant, write it out for me like you, like you hear it or how you say it, you know. And so here I'm doing Tammy's, my niece's, I'm speaking at the memorial service. I knew there were going to be a lot of smart people there. One of her, I talked with the family before and asked them, you know, uh, give me your thoughts about Tammy and even send them to me in an email. So the day of the service, in fact, I'm working on what I'm going to say right up to the time we left. And, I mean, fast, you know. And thank God for the computers and all that. And, and uh, so I got this thing from Didi, her sister Didi. And, and she said that one of her memories of Tammy is when Tammy was in high school in a speech class, and she was giving a recitation for, uh, and here I'm going to try to say Antigone, okay, which is in Greek mythology. I never heard of her before. You know, like, so it's spelled like this, A-N-T-I, so that's like anti, and then G-O-N-E. So I, I sent a text back to Didi and saying, you got to, you know, how do you, how do you, you know, I did that pronunciation kind of thing saying, is this right? And she misunderstood me and she said, yes, that's right. Text it back, says right. So here I'm standing in front of all, you know, a lot of smart people. And I say, anti-gun. <laughs> and find out afterwards, I got a text from Didi on our way back. And she said, Steve, I wasn't going to tell you this, but it's so funny. She said, afterwards, people are asking me, I didn't know Tammy way back in high school was against guns. She was, and so anyway, yeah, it's just it's like your worst nightmare, you know, as a speaker. Um, one more. Uh, how about this one? Anybody? It's done by an artist in Omaha. Well-known artist. Anybody know? Title of it, well, first of all, the artist is a guy by the name of Steve Joy. And it's, the title is Broken Vase. That makes sense, right? You can see it. Okay. All right. Masterpiece is what we're talking about in this series in Ephesians. God's masterpiece. A masterpiece, like I said two weeks ago, greater than this universe itself, which I'm, I'm sure we all agree is absolutely phenomenal. Every picture that comes back from the Hubble Space Telescope to me just, just says to me that God is the greatest artist there's ever been. I mean, if you've ever seen those, those pictures. It's amazing a masterpiece this universe is, and as much as it leads us to, to be in awe of God, there's a masterpiece that of God that's still in the making, that's, that's far better than this even. And once we understand it, we're all going to agree that there's even more reason to worship God, to praise God. There's even more reason to love and obey God and serve God. And there's every reason for you and I to live each day of our life with confidence. And so I'm going to 
say again today what I said two weeks ago. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're that masterpiece. <laughs> In fact, I'm going I'm to be saying this all the way through this series in Ephesians. You are, you are God's masterpiece in the making. And I say this with total confidence because God himself said it in, in the book of Scripture, in, in the book of Ephesians that we're in in this series. Truth is, truth is, if you come here today and you still haven't landed on where, what it is, you know, what you believe about Jesus Christ, I just want you to know that what I'm going to talk about today and what I'm going to be talking about all the way through this series in Ephesians is, is available to you. It's available to you because God loves you. So much, and God wants you to have it. So here's what God said, and this, these are, and I said this two weeks ago, these are the key verses for us in, in the series in Ephesians. I, I, I encourage you to memorize these verses. It's Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8, 9, and 10, this statement. I just love it. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast uh, for we are, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You and I are God's workmanship. And this is another way of saying that you, that I, am a masterpiece of God. These verses are the key verses in Ephesians. They they point to us what this series and what the book of Ephesians is all about. And, 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 and it's this, how, how it's true that you and I are God's masterpiece. And we're going we're gonna to dig deeply into this truth as we go through this book. And I think we're going to come away from it just absolutely amazed at what we are because of God's amazing grace in our lives. Now, there's a lot that goes into us becoming God's masterpiece. And Paul begins with the wealth that's ours in Christ. And this is what we started looking at two weeks ago. And we're going to come back and we're going to focus on this again today. And here's, here's why this is so important for us to do. Let, 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 just imagine this. Imagine, uh, go, go, you know, for some of us it's going way back. Imagine if you graduated from high school. There's an open house for you, and people come, and one of the individuals who came didn't tell you what it was that he gave you, and what it was he gave you was $5 million that was waiting in a bank for you. He didn't tell you that. He just gave you an, he gave you an envelope with a letter in it that explained everything that you needed to know, what bank it was in, what your bank account number was, and every, all the other information that you needed to access that money. But you as you got that envelope with that letter in it, you didn't open it up. You just, you just thought it was just a card, you know, another card congratulating you for graduating. So you put it in a box with a bunch of other stuff. You never opened it. And the years go by. In fact, 20 years go by. And, and as sometimes can happen in people's lives, there, there are 20 very difficult years for you. One of the things that was so difficult is financially. You just... Just things just kept on going wrong for you. And you finally came to that point where you had lost your job. You could no longer make payments on your house. And so you, your house was being repossessed and, and you had to move out. And so you're packing up all your stuff and you come to that box with that letter in it and you open it, you open it up. 
And 20 years after you received the money, you found out you were a millionaire. For 20 years, you, you had $5 million waiting in this bank, and you could have accessed it any time in your life, but you never did because you never read the letter. In a sense, this is what's true for every one of us who've trusted in Jesus Christ as our Savior. God wrote us a letter. A letter that explains to us the wealth that's ours in Jesus Christ. It was, it was first written to the Ephesians, but it's as much a letter that God intends for each one of us. And, and you see, God wants us to know the wealth that's ours in Jesus Christ. And it's, it's not wealth that we got, we got to wait until we get to heaven to have. It's wealth that's available to each one of us right now. And it's wealth that, that, it, that, that can have a dramatic impact on how you and I live every single day day of our lives. Now, we never want to go through life not knowing this. We never want to go through life not understanding all that's ours in Christ so that that you and I would end up living our life like we're in spiritual poverty when the truth is we're, we're as spiritually rich as any person could possibly be. So I'd like to continue what we began last Sunday. Discovering the wealth that is ours in Jesus Christ. And I want to say what I, what I said last week. There, there's a lot that goes into us becoming God's masterpiece. And it all gets unpacked in this letter to the Ephesians. And Paul begins with the wealth that's ours in Christ. Just as a little um, inside thing here for you. You know, in preparing a sermon... Every week, I depend on God. Uh, uh, prayer is a big part of it. Asking the Spirit of God to teach me and to speak into my own life and to give me understanding of, of God's Word and to help me in preparation. And, 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 and what I do is I, I dig deeply into the text. I find other verses and passages of Scripture that speak into it, saying, you know, helping it, us to understand it even better. I read commentaries written by, by biblical scholars that are way smarter than myself. And, and then I, after I've done all of that, I start putting it all together into a, into a message, into a sermon. And every time I began, it's, you know, it used to be a blank sheet of paper. Now it's a blank computer screen. And, and I'm looking for words and phrases and paragraphs that will help us understand God's truth and how to apply it to our life. And and, and, and it's always a bit challenging, but, but sometimes it can be agonizing trying to find the, the right words. And I can, I can work on it and work on it in the office, and, and, and I don't get those words while I'm here at the office. And so t- sometimes it just blows my mind how the Holy Spirit does this. Hey, I could be brushing my teeth. And there it is, suddenly. Oh, or I could be mowing the grass, or I could be driving the car, you know, and, and, and suddenly it just comes into my mind. And, and, and what I want to do is, and when that happens, is I want to write it down as, as quickly as I possibly can so I, so I don't forget it. Sometimes it happens to me in the middle of the night. I'll be sleeping, and I'll wake up, and I'll have exactly the sentence I need or the phrase I need or the word I need. And so what I do is, because I know my memory, I jump up right away. I, there have been times I've had to run all the way down to the basement to get a pen and a, and a piece of paper, and I'll write it out, and then I'll go back to bed. 
Why I'm telling you this is, and I kid you not, God gave me this phrase, this sent, what, what I just said a minute ago, those three sentences. God gave them to me while I was in the shower, taking a shower. I wanted to finish the shower, but I didn't want to forget, so I just kept saying them over and over again so, I, so I'd remember. And I, as soon as I got out of that shower, I found a piece of paper and a pen, and I wrote this down, and it's this statement. And it's one to write down. It's this. There's a lot that goes into us becoming God's masterpiece. And it all gets unpacked in the letter to the Ephesians. And fall begins with the wealth that's ours in Christ. I just said that over and over again in the shower. There's a lot that goes into us becoming God's masterpiece. It all gets unpacked in the letter to the Ephesians. And Paul begins with the wealth that is ours in Jesus Christ. So two weeks ago, we saw the first of two blessings that make us so wealthy, so spiritually rich. And you could go online and listen to the sermon that I did two weeks ago. If you were gone, I encourage you to do that. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to do a, just a slight bit of review on that because I, I want to make sure we don't miss what I said two weeks ago. And then I'm going to add to those first two blessings. I didn't have a lot, enough time to even say what needed to be said about the first two blessings. And then I'll cover the third one and fourth one this morning. So let's, let's look at this, all right? So first of all, two weeks ago, I said... The first blessing is that we're chosen. Verse 4, Ephesians 1, verse 4. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Here's Here's what this tells us. Before you and I ever chose God, God chose us. Don't miss this because what, because what it means is that your salvation has been in God's plan from eternity past. And, and you know what? It doesn't get any more secure than this. With, with God, it's a done deal because God has everything it takes to make it happen. There's, there's nothing better than having this security to inspire us to, to love and obey and serve God. I got to tell you, and this is some added from the sermon I did two weeks ago, so nobody misunderstands this. Because you might have thought about this when you were sitting and listening to me two weeks ago. This, you might have thought about this one. Let me say it this way. The last thing this security does to me, the last thing it does knowing that it's a done deal, my salvation, is to give me the idea that since my salvation is a done deal, I'm just going to go out and sin as much as I want. That's the last thing I'm thinking about. You know, it's like this. Becky and I got married and she pledged her love to me when she said to me, I'm going to be with you, Steve, through the good times and the bad times. I'm going to stay with you through your good times and your bad times, Steve. I'm with you all the way. You know what? That didn't give me the thought as I stood up there with Becky and she said that to me. That didn't make me think, you know what? I'm, boy, I'm going to go out and have an affair. It didn't make me think to myself, well, you know what? I wonder how lousy a husband I can be. It didn't make me think to myself, I wonder how much of a jerk I can be as a husband. It didn't make me think any of that. The very opposite. It made me want to love Becky with all of my heart. It made me 
want to be the best possible husband I could be to my wife and made me want to be faithful to Becky every single day of our, of our marriage. And friends, I just say to you, it's the same deal in my relationship with God. God choosing me and God promising to stay with me even when I'm at my worst. That makes me love God and makes me want to obey God and serve God. It, ma- it makes me want to be exactly what God, what Paul wrote about that God wants me to be, to be holy and blameless. Second blessing is that we're adopted. Verse 5, verse 6. It says, In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he's freely given us in the one he loves. What an amazing declaration. I love that word predestined. It's, it's the strongest possible word to, de, to describe the certainty of God's eternal plan to make us his children. And, 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 and I said it this way two weeks ago, and it's one of those ones I'd say, it's, I would write it down. It's this. It points to our destiny by divine decree. By divine decree. Now, two verses I didn't look at two weeks ago, verse 11 and 12, where, where God brings these two words together, the Spirit of God guiding Paul. So look at this. In verse 11, verse 12, we read this. In him, in Christ, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. These two words together, the word chosen and the word predestined, put together in this sentence, you know what? That emphasizes that God's will will get done. God's will will get done. In fact, you know, I like to think of it this way. Wrap these two words together, the word chosen and the word predestined, and you know what God gives to each one of us? God gives us a gift of confidence. God gives us this this ability to be able to walk through our life with confidence that never goes away, that I'm a child of God, and nothing can take that away from me. It's just, I mean, awesome confidence day after day to have that confidence that when I die, I'm going to step into into heaven. Two more things not to miss, and and something I didn't talk about two weeks ago. I just love it when when I know you're really processing what I'm talking about as I'm as I'm as I'm preaching and, and you're asking yourself questions even as I'm as I'm doing this and, and sometimes you're sitting out there and you're going, Man, Steve, I don't know about that. You know what, what about this? And and so I got an email. It's a very good question. It's a great email. And so I'm gonna say this so nobody misunderstands this. Because we read here that God chose us and God predestined us to be adopted as his children, you and I should not assume that this means that God chooses and predestines others to spend eternity in hell. Okay? It might seem logical to make this conclusion, but let me say it this way. Logic is not always a good basis for theology. 
See, you're not going to find God saying this anywhere in Scripture. God never says anywhere in Scripture, I choose this person to go to hell. I choose this, you know, I predestine this person to hell. God never says it. Truth, God says the opposite. For example, Jesus Christ talking to a man by the name of Nicodemus one night in John chapter 3 said this to him. John chapter 3, verse 16, for God so loved what? The world. Doesn't say God loved a few people and not others. The world is everybody. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that what? That what? Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Peter said it this way in 2 Peter chapter 3. He had some people wondering, why isn't Jesus Christ coming back yet? And so Peter answered that. And then he talked to this whole thing of, of God wanting everybody to be saved. And, and, and Peter, he said, don't forget this one thing, dear friends. But the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. And the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. And then he said this. He is patient with you, not wanting What? Anyone to perish, but what? But everyone to come to repentance. I had lunch with uh, Jim Eklund two weeks ago. We're just really good friends. And Jim is uh, president of Grace College. And so I was telling him about this sermon. And we, so we spent some time. We just love to talk a little theology together. And, and, and Jim put it this way, and I think it's put so well. He said, like, he said it's like there's two tracks that that we operate on. One is the, the divine sovereignty, the track of divine sovereignty. The other one is the track of human responsibility. Second thing to know, so important, everybody, we cannot miss this. The ultimate reason for God choosing us and adopting us, it's not all about us. We're not the ultimate reason. Do you know what the ultimate reason is for God? For God choosing us for our salvation? You know what it is? It's to bring glory to God. Look look at this. Ephesians chapter 1, those verses, verse 5 and 6. It says, In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons to Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. And then what does it say? Say it with me. To the... Praise of his glorious grace. And then those verses, verse 11 and 12. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might what? Might, say it with me, might be for the praise of his glory. See, our salvation is first and foremost to bring glory to God. I'll never forget, years ago, way back in the 80s, I, I went to a conference, and, and one of the speakers was a man, who, I remember his age, he was 83 years old. He was one of the last living Puritans in the country, and Puritans have a very high and exalted view of God. And he asked all of us pastors, it was a pastor's conference, and he said, what is the number one reason for us, for God sending his son to, to this earth to be the savior of mankind? Why did he do that? And, and we all gave our answer, you know, so, so that we could have God's forgiveness, so that we could have eternal life. And, and all of those are true. Every one of them is true, but it's not the ultimate reason. The ultimate reason 
is to make it possible for you and for me to live a life that brings glory to God. And he said, you know what, guys? He said, it makes all the difference on how somebody lives their their Christian life if they understand that the ultimate reason for that life, and if they think it's all about them, then it's going to be all about them. But if they understand that it's all about God, then it's going to be all about God. Okay. Now, blessing number three. Now we've got some new ground here. Well, we've had a lot of new ground today. But the blessing three and blessing four. Number, number three is we're redeemed. God gives us a gift of redemption. Look at this statement in verse seven. It says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Redemption is a street term. It came out of the slave market. And as soon as those who, who lived in that day heard this word redemption, they immediately got their, this picture in their mind of, of, of slaves being brought into the public square and they're put on a block and they're in chains and shackles and, and, and people bid for them. It's like they're in an auction and, 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 and ultimately somebody buys them and that person takes them home and they serve them the rest of their life as a slave. And, and sometimes what happened, very rarely, but sometimes what would happen is somebody would step up onto that slave block and somebody would pay a price for them, not for them to serve them as a slave, but to set them free from their slavery. Truth is, left to ourselves, we're all slaves of the worst sort. We're slaves to sin and we're slaves to death and there's nothing you and I can do to change this. We'd be helpless and hopeless forever were it not for the fact that Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice for our sin. He paid the price for our redemption, redeeming us from sin and from death. And he didn't do it with money. He did it with his blood. Peter writes this, for you know that it's not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you're redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Perfect son of God offered himself for us. He shed his blood for you. He shed his blood for me. You, you know, if you want to connect scripture with scripture, when you get home today or sometime this week, read Isaiah chapter 53 and just spend some time worshiping God. And you know what? There's no sin too great for Jesus Christ to redeem. Not one. It doesn't matter what sin you've done in the past in your life. It doesn't matter what sin you're living in right now that you need to deal with. I was, you know, I'm always, I'm working on a sermon until I'm up here. So I'm driving. We got home yesterday afternoon around 2, 3 o'clock and from Minneapolis and took a little break. And then I came over here to the office in the evening just to read through the sermon again and actually preach through it once. And, and on my way here, driving down Q Street, I drove by a church that had a, had a sign on the outside that, that said this, God's mercy is far greater than our greatest sin. I love that, except I, I just added it a little bit. I changed one word and I said this. God's mercy is not just far greater, it's infinitely greater than our greatest sin. You know, you know, two great examples of this are right in this letter. 
One is, one is Paul, the, one, the guy who wrote this letter. Verse 1, he, he, he said this as he's opening up the letter. He said, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. That's an incredible statement. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, you know what he was? He killed Christians. He hated Christianity. He hated Jesus Christ. He didn't believe in any of it until one day Jesus Christ, after his resurrection, Christ appeared to him and Paul suddenly realized the resurrection really happened and Jesus Christ is the Son of God and he became a follower of Christ and all of his sins were forgiven, even his sin of murdering. And then what about the Ephesians? Look at this statement, same verse, verse 1. It says, he writes, to the saints in Ephesus, you know what saints are? Holy, holy ones. To the holy ones in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. I got to tell you, that's, that's as amazing. Because you know, do you know anything about the city of Ephesus? Ephesus was one of the most wicked cities in the Roman Empire. It was, it, it was, it was host to the temple uh, of the goddess Artemis, that was the goddess of fertility. And so in their worship, it all involved prostitution. God, people would go there and, and have sex with prostitutes, and there was, not, there, was not, there was nothing, I mean, there was any kind of perversion imaginable, nothing held back. It was kind of like, you know, you know what's that saying about going to Las Vegas? You know, nobody knows what you do in Las Vegas or something. It's like the, it was like that way in Ephesus, you know? And add to that whole thing was witchcraft and sorcery. And that's what these people were all involved in that Paul's writing these letters, this letter to. People he calls saints and faithful in Christ. And, and so you see, you know what? They're forgiven. And they understood their need of God's forgiveness. God forgave them. Yeah. I love the second half of Paul's description of our redemption. And he chose his words very carefully. Look at what he said. He said, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. How rich is God's grace? How much grace does God have? An unlimited supply. Which means that you and I can't possibly have sinned beyond God's ability to forgive us. And then, and then he ended it with this statement. He said that God lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. You see, God just pours his grace on us. God doesn't want us going through life thinking that we've got to somehow convince him to forgive us. It's, you see, that's the whole point of this. God wants us to live every moment of our life fully aware, you know, and living in the truth, really, of God's overflowing grace in our lives. One more blessing. It's just, it's amazing. We're given the Holy Spirit. Look at this, verse 13 and verse 14 says, it says, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. See, everybody, to be sealed means to have 
the mark on you that shows ownership or possession and God's seal, not on us, but in us, that shows that we belong to him as the Holy Spirit. The moment you and I trust in Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God comes to live in us. God comes to live in us. Don't miss how the Holy Spirit is described in these verses. He's uh, described as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. I mean, talk about security. God's saying that the Holy Spirit is his down payment on our eternal inheritance. In other words, eternity for us is signed, sealed, and delivered. We can't get any more secure in this. See, God giving us the Holy Spirit means that God's living in us. And that means that you and I have the infinite power of God within ourselves. Do you remember Jesus Christ when he, when he was going to leave his disciples? He said, it's good that I'm going because the Holy Spirit's going to come. And when the Holy Spirit comes and he lives within you, it's going to be possible that you're going to do greater things than I've done. You know what he means by that? He means that each one of us are like a little Jesus. Jesus here, Jesus there, Jesus wherever we are, there's Jesus. It's like Jesus just multiplies himself through us. That's what he means, that we're going we're gonna to be able to do even greater things than he did. It's because there's just going to be so many more of us. The power of God in us. The Holy Spirit within us, he gives us guidance and counsel. He gives us comfort. And as we're going to see later on in Ephesians, there's this whole thing of spiritual gifts that that the Holy Spirit gives us so that we can do the work of God, so we can fulfill what we're to do as, as masterpieces. Here's what this does for us, everybody. Here's, don't, don't miss this, okay? Don't miss this. What I've been talking about these two Sundays, here's what this does for us. It gives us every reason to worship God with passion. You know, whether we're doing it at home or we're doing it all together here, to worship God with everything inside of ourselves. And, and that, that doesn't, I'm, when I'm saying that, I mean, I'm not saying how we do that. I'm not saying we got to, like, jump up and down and, you know, though there's nothing wrong with that if you want to. I'm just saying we come here with the intention in our mind, man, I am just going to give my full attention to worshiping God I, because God deserves it. And second thing it does for us, it gives us every reason to love God with all of our heart and all of our mind and all of our soul and all of our strength. It gives us every reason to obey God and to serve God with our whole heart. And then this, everybody, it gives us every reason to have confidence that we can do great things for God because we have God in us. That just make you want to worship him and praise him and thank him and thank him and thank him. Let's stand together for a closing song, and I'd just like to pray with us, okay? Let's, you pray with me as I pray, okay? And you know what? I mean, I would just say maybe this is a morning to just raise your hands with me as I pray if you want to, okay? I won't see because my eyes will be shut.
okay? Let's pray. Father, we, we worship you. We praise you. Praise you, Father. We thank you for your grace. We thank you, God, for your mercy and and choosing us and adopting us and redeeming us and giving us your Holy Spirit. We praise you, God. We thank you. We worship you. You are worthy, God. You are worthy. You are worthy of our worship. In Christ's name, amen.